telling you. like about oh man it's like about a 10 second delay on an excellent connection this morning i don't know what's up mm. great cup of coffee looks like everything's working like it's supposed to be working i don't know it, it's it's the third monday of the week right it's third monday i i don't know it's a it's a dark and stormy morning uh, here in Northern Virginia. Uh, Northern, Northern Virginia. 8-Bit Unix Mage. Good to see you. Call you 8-Bit. I don't know. Love the image. Um, yeah, it's dark and stormy. Dark and stormy. Thunderstorms all day today here in, in Nova. Nova, Northern Virginia, for you folks out there uh, that aren't aren't around this area, we've got rain all all day. It looks like um, bunch of stuff going on in the news. A lot of stuff going on. We uh, what? Let's get let's give you the rundown rundown of what's ahead of you today. Um, some Ukrainians were just nailed laundering money. Um, there's a, a new strain of a Trojan out. It's got some new features. There's some exploit of Xcode, uh, to infect your Mac machine. Uh, Jenkins, uh, which is used for a lot of people's software development pipeline. It's got a flaw in it. Um, there's this operation power, power what? Uh, operation power fail, which... That makes sense. It's a Windows exploit, a Windows vulnerability, a pair of zero days. Uh, Windows and Internet Explorer. Power fail. Uh, I'm not sure. And it's National Potato Day. Uh, Paul is up and at him early, early. It's probably about noon for Paul now, uh, the way his day is. We've got our Illy Coffee and a Cowboy Big Bebop Cup. And Amaka will say that's an excellent cup later today when he watches this. Um, guys, we just got so much, so much going on. Um, I did not find anything about uh, helping the election efforts by installing some of this protective gear that SZA has out. Uh, we'll see. I don't know if anybody, maybe, maybe Dennis is out there. Maybe he found some information out. I didn't find any information out. Uh, yesterday was the day of meetings. Meetings on top of meetings that ran into meetings that were double booked and triple booked. It's just that kind of day. Um, one of the things about working remote, once everybody started working remote, it's all bets are off. Everybody is doing meetings like you wouldn't believe. Um, Dennis, there you are. Good morning. I don't know if you found anything about North Carolina elections and helping out with that stuff. But if you did, I'd love to hear about it. I didn't find anything out yet. I'd find out good coffee on a cold and rainy morning. I see everybody, uh, everybody's on. Let's, let's use the, let's put the intro on. We'll get the news started. Get talking about what's, what's going on in the cyber world today. 
yet the the, the intro to save all intros um, let's put this on the big screen uh, messes up my all my marking uh, on the screen and you find a good a good uh, plugin that allows me to mark up web pages I get this one but once you resize it all bets are off it's all the markings go different directions and nothing lines up anymore but I can tell what I wanted to talk to you guys about uh, Ukraine the Ukraine is in the news um, this is your story from ZDNet so ZDNet says Ukraine Ukraine arrest gang who ran 20 crypto exchanges and laundered money for ransomware gangs um, and you see these ransomware folks they, they want their money in Bitcoin um, but there's got to be a point to change the Bitcoin into real coin. We got to get the real cash out of the system if we're going to be a, a big time thug gangster criminal that's doing, running these ransomware. Um, so, law enforcement in Ukraine has announced today the arrest of a cyber gang who ran 20 cryptocurrency exchanges where they laundered $42 million in funds for, for criminal groups. And obviously, these groups include. Those ransomware groups that we talk about, um, probably not the big ones like like Maze and those guys, but um, still, gotta gotta not be on the wrong side of this thing. According to the article, the group, which authorities said had three members, had been operating from Ukraine since 2018. According to Ukraine officials, uh, the group has advertised service on underground criminal forums. Where they offered to convert cryptocurrency criminal from criminal activities into fiat money, fiat currency, fiat. You know, it's just that. Love it when they use, use these terms. Fiat currency is you know a normal currency, uh, like the U.S. dollar. It's something just it beat up this week, I think. Um. Yeah, they turned into fiat currency. Helping criminals launder their ill-gotten profits. Ah, ah, ah. Um, I'll throw that up in a second, Dennis. I won't throw it up, but um, yeah, the rest the rest took place in late June earlier this year, but new details have been released by joint press press releases by Beyonce and the Ukrainian Cyber Police. So Beyonce apparently had this thing they were they were calling it uh, the bullet. Proof Exchanger project, where they're kind of tracing where money was going on the crypto market, uh, and they saw a lot of it going to certain spots, um, and that's what they that they assumed initially that when they went to these certain spots, those were payout locations. Um, so the article says, "Bulletproof Exchanger is a general term used uh, internally to refer to high-risk exchange service service that serves cash-out points." For criminal activities such as ransomware, um, we kept running. Beyond says we kept running into exchangers like these in our day-to-day -day investigative work. That historically, rogue cash-out points have played an important role in the underground criminal economy, uh, which is why we decided to devote research efforts to study this problem. And that's kind of the the bottom line for this stuff that you guys need to know. Uh, we know a lot of ransomware stuff is going on. We know a lot of a lot of these these groups, um, they have different exploit patterns, and I think, you know, just like we talk about APT, uh, and we'll talk about APTs like uh, you know, 
you know, 38 or 28 or 29. Um, we talk about them in these ways. I think, I think these ransomware groups, you know, we talk about Maze. Maze is a big ransomware group. We talk about Maze. Um, maybe they need a moniker like these APTs so we can start sorting them out and looking at their profile. Some of them, you know, some of them are op operate like a a enterprise, like an organization, like a corporation, um, and some of them operate like affiliate marketing, where they try to get people to subscribe to their service uh, and go have fun, dude, that kind of stuff. So maybe it's you know starting to start profiling these guys. Like, okay, we know this is the profile of Maze, um, and then walk down the top. And ransomwares, ransomwares, I, I guess, um, ransomware operators, and, and get the profile for them. We know they're out there. We know a lot of times they use remote procedure calls. Um, sometimes they use phishing. Different ransomware gangs use different tactics. So they have TTPs just like the APTs do. So maybe it's time to start categorizing and classifying these guys into different groups so we can start looking at their TTPs. If you're looking at, and again, I'll get on my high horse, I'll get on my soapbox, and I'll tell you, if you're, if you're risk people, uh, organizational risk, enterprise risk folks, if they haven't profiled your organization against ransomware, they're wrong. And I think this is the next step in that, is okay, of the ransomware actors, which ones do we need to worry about? Right, so if I'm in, in finance or if I'm in pharmaceutical, is there a specific ransomware gang that's target, targeting my particular area? And we can cross-reference that with APTs. Uh, to me, it's a great idea. I, all these great ideas, all over a cup of coffee with you guys in the morning. Uh, I, I think this is the way to go. I think we got to get these guys into an APT-like structure, so we can say, here's their TTPs. Here's what we need to work out, worry about. And that way, if I'm in, uh, maybe I'm, I need to worry about. APTs that attack, attack, I don't know, uh, the, the military complex, uh, the government. These are the APTs, that, or these are the ransomware types that normally go after pharmaceuticals. Here, how do they normally do it? Do they go after the RDP call, or do they do use phishing primarily? And that way, when I build my risk profile, my risk profile in better terms, then I can say I, I need to focus on protection from phishing. Because I know these three APTs are after my organization, and these two ransomware gangs are after my organization. And they use phishing uh, is, is a campaign they use. Okay, now I know an attack vector. I know an attack actor. As, as Dennis is going to say, I know the bad actor. I know how they're getting in. Now I know how to start building defenses around it. I don't know. I always think about these things in the morning. Um, what do you guys think? I still want to think, you know, what do we think about yesterday's idea? And that's what Dennis is going to key in on in a second here. Um, the idea of helping the election boards out, helping the election folks out. This other one is how about building an APT structure around ransomware? What would, what would we call them? Advanced persistent threat is APT. So um, I don't know. Ransomware gangs, RGs are... Um, RBAs. What do you think, Dennis? Ransomware bad actors. <laughs> I don't know. Um, did some research on election tools. 
waiting for a rep from the North Carolina Election Board to call back. We'll report when I make more progress. I knew you'd be on it, Dennis. Got chasing these things down. Oh, like just on it like a like a hound dog, just making tracking things down, getting the answers, making things happen. Cheers, Dennis. Thank you, sir. Um, I think it's a good idea. I think it's a good idea. Anytime you can get that experience, um, it's going to help you move forward, help the uh, the election boards as well. So, um, email. We talk about email. Uh, if you've ever worked on a web website, if you've ever done, if you've ever done any HTML development, even if it's just been with with something like WordPress or something like um, I can't even think of Adobe's um, tool that develops web pages. I can't even think of that right now on top of my head. If you're using a tool or using straight HTML, um, sometimes you have to put that link in there that is going to send off an email to someone, right? And it's a mail to tag. Um, a lot of people don't use them anymore because they were exploited by phishing folks, by, by spammers. They could scowl scour the internet looking for these mail to tags and it would give an email address so they would harvest those email addresses and they would just start dumping information that's why one of my email addresses gets a lot of spam is because in the early days of cyber recon it was coded um just html code and it had a mail to so if you wanted to send me a mail it would be mail to and then it had my email address when they would scrape pages early on they would harvest all that information. So that's one way. A lot of people don't do that. That's why on our page, you'll see a form now, and the form handles sending them email, and it's kind of hidden from the, the user, the end user, using the web page. So it's a tag out there. It's, it's a mail to tag. It's a lesser, they, they said this article, article from ZDNet says it's a lesser known technology, these mail to links. I don't think it's lesser known. I think a lot of people know about these mail to links and, and usually it's like mail to colon and then the email address um and that would that normally when people click that link it fires up outlook or whatever mail client that the user has that's viewing the, the web page and it prepares an email to be sent um i didn't know all this uh all this um extra um there's extra parameters. That's what I'm trying to, all these extra parameters were included in the specification. So this is uh, RFC. So it's RFC 6068. And it describes the mail to URL scheme or URI scheme, excuse me, URI scheme. And there's all kinds of stuff in there. You can prepare an entire message using this mail to, um, and they, they give an example in the, in the uh, article here href mail to and it's bob at host.com subject hello and body equals friend click me is a, and then a, a closing tag a, a, an anchor closing tag uh, i didn't realize all of this other these these other um parameters that were available in this thing you can have a parameter that pulls a file from the victim's drive adds it to the email and sends it um, you know, this is one of the, these researchers 
use this attach or attachment parameter to allow mail links to open a new e email composed uh, or reply window with the, the attachment already attached uh, and then send it out. Um, obviously, this is important because we can, we can, you know, a lot of files, we're not going to know where they put, you know, my secret cookie recipe, but we may know generally where the default location is for encryption keys. Um, and maybe we can use it to send encryption keys out. So the academics in this article, um, academics said they tested several ways uh, and several versions of this data exfiltration technique, such as exact paths to the desired files, which would be hard. Uh, you'd have to know them. Using wildcard characters to attach multiple files at once. Using URLs for the internal network shares uh, to go to a specific share on that internal network, using URLs pointing to the victim, uh, pointing the victim to the act attacker's rogue SMB server, so the victim leaks its NTLM authentication hash or NTLAN manager hash uh, to the attacker. Hopefully, they're not using NTLM anymore. Um, using IMAP links to steal the e email messages from the entire IMAP uh, email box. So just pulling the entire pulling the entire mailbox over to the attacker. Um, they tested 20 email clients. This is kind of the good news. And they found four clients vulnerable to this type of attack. Uh, Evolution for GNOME, Kmail for the KDE, IBM HCL notes for Windows, and older versions of Thunderbird on Linux. It's now patched, apparently. So there's four for this particular type of attack. There were a bunch of other things they tried. So this is just uh, one of them. The article talks about three things. Uh, key replacement, uh, dig digital signatures um, to decrypt the ciphertext. So changing out digi digital signatures and then key exfiltration, which is the one that the article mainly talks about. And they provide this, this table at the bottom. So when you look at the article, um, it's going to tell you, you know, Although the article doesn't talk about Windows and Outlook, which is probably 90% of the market, it is vulnerable to some of this. Like it's vulnerable to key replacement and it's it's vulnerable to um, um, the, the ability to trick the mail client into, mail client into decrypting the message. Um, so, so there is vulnerabilities and you have to look at this chart. It looks like, you know, there, there's some that are not really vulnerable to anything. But it's it's kind of an eye chart to look at, so I, I challenge you to take take a look at this one. Um, right off the bat, I'm thinking you know the the attack parameter, the attack surface of this it is a little low because first you have to build the this this mail to link. Then you've got to get someone to click on it, right? So it could be phishing. We could send somebody a um, HTML email attachment with this in it. We could do like a watering hole attack. We get somebody to come to our website or come to a website that we have uh, infected with these in, these with these malicious mail to links in them. Um, and then we've got to we've got to kind of know what client they're using, and then use the correct technique to do the exploitation of the system. So there's a lot of variables that go in play, not outside the realm of somebody that's going to target your organization. So not really outside the, the realm of that. Um, so obviously, how do we, we protect from this? Maybe in our email, we don't allow HTML-based email. We just have text-based email.
I know it makes a lot of people mad because they don't get the pretty emails anymore. They don't get the, the nice, pretty email. But that, that might be the price to pay to have secure uh, email. Obviously, egress filtering, um, defense in depth, perimeter defense, uh, IDSs, IPSs, keep your client patched, keep your client updated, those kind of things. Um, and maybe not storing your, your PGP keys, your keys in default locations. Um, and check this out. Check the article out. See if your particular organization has a mail client that's on the list. I'm going to guess most people are using Outlook. Um, for Outlook to be exploitable, it has to have this PGP OL plugin installed. So if you don't have that installed, uh, the, the, at least this version of the attack won't work. So you got to kind of dissect your environment. See where you're at. Apple Mail is on there as well. So you've got the Mac, Mac OS. And then Linux, you know, Thunderbird's obviously on there. It's got red stripes all the way across all three um, exploitation methods. Um, not good. Um, Claws is on there. Use Claws. Anyways, challenge you to take a look at this article. See if your email client is on there and make sure that you're covered down. You don't have the vulnerability. See if you've got that plugin. Like most people, I'm going to say 80-90% are using Outlook. Um, if CPS PGP OL plugin. Dennis, I think you got some good, good choices. Uh, practitioners of ransomware, uh, POR, POR1, POR2, or practitioners of organized ransomware, POR with big letters all the way across capitals. I kind of like that. POR1, maze, POR2, you know, on and on and on. Um, I like that, POR. Practitioners of organized ransomware. And it is. That's the ones we'd be looking at. We'd be looking at the organized folks. That that boils it down. Dennis is on it again. Dennis would be, if, if this was class, Dennis would get the gold stars today. That's for sure. Um, if you got a Mac, to keep talking about Mac, Mac malware infects uh, infects users through Xcode, and Xcode is the way you build Mac and iOS applications. You use the Xcode um, KDID uh, uh, integrated development environment. So upon infection, this is a upon infection, the malware can hijack the Safari browser and inject various JavaScript payloads that are capable of stealing credentials, financial data, personal information. Uh, deploying st second stage malware, second stage malware, an Apple script file um, can harvest system information, kill running processes, steal user credentials from Google uh, and a bunch of other places, including Apple IDs as cre and credit card information linked to the Apple Store. It can manipulate the browser results replacing the cryptocurrency wallet addresses with their own and replace Chrome download links with older versions. Um, so they got to get this malcode onto your system. So first of all, the, to, to make this work, you have to be, so you have to be a developer inside of some code, some type, using Xcode to develop software, right? Um, so the delivery mechanism, attackers were found propagating malware via Xcode developer projects hosted on GitHub. Eject, attackers had injected malicious code into two of the projects so that any apps built using these projects 
would automatically be infected with malicious code. The malware uses two zero days to propagate further. One vulnerability lies in data vault that allows the attackers to bypass the system integrity protection or SIP feature of the Mac OS. The other vulnerability is related to Safari for WebKit development, which allows attackers to inject JavaScript code into the development of Safari and other browsers. Um, so we've got to think back to about a week ago, we were talking about how the attackers have moved the attack, especially we talked about um, big attacks that were targeting um, databases. And in, in the, the bad old days, they would go right after trying to use some kind of vulnerability on the organization or on the database to get to, to, the, to the database and download it to steal that information. And the article, that article talked about, and I'll, I'll find it, I'll link it up there. I'll put the link up there. That article talked about attackers moving upstream into the software development cycle and injecting malicious code into the development of applications so that when they finally came out and were, uh, were published, they would have this malicious code in it. And there was some question about, okay, how does this happen? How does this work? Do we see this in the wild? And this is it in the wild, right? So attackers build some good type, some, some type of chunk of a library that you're going to want to use in your application. So you go out to ask, go out to get GitHub and you're like, I need something that displays a clock on my application. And you go, oh, here's a cool one that displays a clock. It's already built. It's ready to go. It's on GitHub. You download that code. You add it to your application. And then when you publish, publish your application in two months, this is already in there. The mal code has already been compiled into your, um, into your application. You've added this mal code. So really, it's a, it's a way, you know, it's, it's this, this pipeline development of software where we're re reusing other people's code in our code. And I think, Dennis, you pointed it out. We have to do that static analysis. We have to do analysis of the code we're using. And it's, it, it can be static um, or it can be an automated method. But we're going to have to evaluate that code to make sure it doesn't contain malcode. And uh, no, it's, it's not, and we talked then, it's not 100%. And this is it's, it's, these zero days may not be detected in that scan of the code. That's why you have to continually scan your application. It's not just one and done. So you've got to you've got to scan it. You've got to scan all the libraries using, and you've got to scan continue to scan those libraries. Just like if you you pushed a system out, you pushed a a Windows system out. You're not just going to push it out to your environment and then never check it again. That would be ridiculous. Nobody in security would say, hey, let's field this Windows 10 machine and never patch it. That, that doesn't make any, any sense. It makes no more sense to build an application, field it, and not keep track of it. We have to keep looking at it, especially if we're using code modules, chunks of code, libraries, DLLs, from other people that we didn't develop. If we're putting that in our code base, we have to keep track of it. We keep, we get, we're going to have to keep scanning the code base for new vulnerabilities. So let's say these vulnerabilities are zero days today. In a couple months, they might not be zero days. They may be in the libraries of the, the scanning engine. And then hopefully they'll be picked up. And then you've got to take, you got to rip your code down. You got to take it down 
you got to fix it and then get it republished. Especially if that library, that code module you're using is integral to you, the way your, your program works. Maybe it's a, a conversion function. Maybe your application is converting Bitcoin to US dollars. Maybe that's what it's doing. And this module is going out and getting the current exchange rate and it's doing the calculation for you. So you, your, your Bitcoin goes in one side, the amount of dollars comes out the other side and the, the code you've taken from the, the GitHub that had this infected is is the main piece to your application. Um, now you gotta take your application down because now you've got vulnerable code in it. Um, and that's what this, this is all about. Um, when the code runs, uh, you know, not only are you infected, because you know you're gonna try this. You're gonna you're gonna test the code on your system. You've got an environment, you're gonna test it. Um, you become infected, and then the end user using your application can become infected. So there's a lot of stuff. This is Xcode, this is around Xcode. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's just bad. Now, the article doesn't go on to say 100% that the application you build will have this vulnerability in it. It does say that if you pull this GitHub project down, your system will be infected. Uh, and I, I've got to believe that your code will be infected too. That's the whole point of all this. Not just infecting one system, but infecting a lot of them. So this is a good example of that. Um, obviously it doesn't point right to that story we talked about earlier, but this is, this is an example of that in action. Um, it's got some other stuff um, as far as other malware targeting Mac users. Uh, in their closing statement, the Mac OS has been long considered the most a more secure operating system, not more, uh, not most. However, the scenario is changing at a rapid pace. Uh, the emergence of XCSET, which is the malware suite we're talking about here, provides an indication that attackers are investing their time and efforts to get past the security barriers laid by Apple's operating system. So Apple has long been seen as a more secure operating system. That's that's, that's changing. And we talk about this as they get more market share, Apple or Linux or whoever, they became a bigger and bigger target. Um, we know this one is going to infect the programmer, the developer that's building the app. My money's on if it's infecting them, the module they're adding to the, to the uh, application is going to be infected as well. Not directly laid out in this article, but I'm inferring that. Um, do your own research, check it out, make sure I'm right. If I'm right, I'm wrong, let me know, but it would make sense. If the module you're downloading is infected, when you put it in your application code, that becomes infected as well. Um, Trojan horse, God, you know, the attacker is always on the move. Attackers always upping their game, right? They always, that that's what they're all about. They're about, Mainly infecting systems, making the money, making their statement political or for their cause, whatever it is. Um, they're out there doing their thing. So Juniper has got a report. Not only is the article from Threat Post in your show notes, but the report link is in your show notes as well. So Juniper identifies a phishing campaign targeting business customers with malware using password protections, among other techniques, to avoid detection. 
We've seen this password protection. It's been around for 10 years or more. It's probably been around way more than that. Uh, you take your virus or your malcode, you zip it up, and you put a password on it. That way when the antivirus scans your, your email or whatever, the file, it can't read that file, and hopefully it gets, pie, gets by the malware protection. Now that's, that's the name of this game. Um, then when the end user opens it, bang, it runs the code and game over. So threat actors have enhanced the banking Trojan that's been widely used during the COVID-19 pandemic with new functionality to help it avoid detection by potential victims um, and standard security practices. So they've included several new features, including a password protected attachment, keyword obfuscation, minimalist malcode, uh, microcode, um, in a recent phishing campaign using documents trojanized by the widely used banking trojan iced id according to the new report obviously down there uh, yeah paul kimayong is the writer of this report uh latest version of the iced id identified by jupiter team is being distributed using corporate business accounts where the recipients are customers of the same business uh, this boosts the likelihood that the campaign's success, uh, the sender and the recipient have already established a business relationship. We know that, you know, we define the rules to look for phishing, right? We say, if you get an email from someone you don't know, probably higher chances of phishing. If you're not expecting it, a higher chance of phishing. If it's a weird attachment, higher chance of phishing. Uh, we've also said, you know, if the email looks funny, if it's worded crazy if it's, it's wording is bad uh, it's, it's grammar's bad things like that it's probably phishing well those old rules are kind of slowly going away so now we're talking about you know compromised business accounts so the recipient and the sender have an established relationship already so you you know you've been talking to that person in the past for some reason so it kind of slips by your defensive radar right away um, some of these and it doesn't say this one is but we know some of these um, piece of malware will pull actual files from the victim's computer and put them in the mail stream. So maybe it's a, a legitimate file that's been infected. Um, this malware has evolved over the years. Allred has a, a history of clever obfuscation. For instance, it resurfaced during the COVID-19 campaign with new functionality that uses stenography or the practice of hiding code within images to stealthily infect victims as well as other enhancements. So the code itself may not be in a text file or a zip file or a PDF. It may be in an image. Um, and if it's an image, there's got to be a way to unpack it on the other side, right? So normally looking at an image will not infect your file, say normally. Um, but if they also have the ability to run the tool to decrypt or pull the, the code outside of that image, you know, that is... That's what they want to do, right? Um, attackers sent phishing emails, which claimed to include an invoice to the potential victims. Uh, they say they're from the accounting department with a password-protected zip file. So if you see that, that's an indicator. The uh, password protection allows the uh, malware to evade anti-malware solutions. Um, and the password's included in the body so they can open it easily. A campaign is novel in how it obfuscates the word attached in a number of ways in the email. 
uh, seems unlikely that attackers would do this, to try to bypass spam filters or phishing detection, since the presence of an attachment is obvious. It's obvious there's an attachment there. They're just obfuscating the word attachment. They expected the attacker to obfuscate the word password because that's a telltale sign of something that's going on that's coming from Kim Young. Uh, then again, modifying the body of the email ever so slightly may change the same fuzzy hashes email security solutions calculate bulk email campaigns. So just changing a little bit. Um, they say, you know, they say this futile to obfuscate these things like the word password or the word attached or attachment. But uh, in the article it says it doesn't matter because by doing that, it wasn't blocked by Google's Gmail security, which proves that the evasion tactic worked. Um, so once the, uh, you know, there's, there's a, a string of things that have to happen. And according to the article, um, the expanded zip file uses a Microsoft Word document that contains a macro that executes upon opening the document with the usual social engineering attempts to get uh, the victim to enable a macro. We know that normally, back in the bad old days, you'd click a macro and it would just run. Now it's going to say, hey, I want you to run this. Once the back macro is enabled, the VB script will download a DLL that will serve as the uh, as the PDF and install the service using uh, Reg Server 32 to guarantee persistence. The second stage downloads the DLL from a uh, Serbian Russia uh, Serbia Russian website um, and executes the macro, and then. Um, DLL downloads and uh, from the domain launchhnichar.co as a PNG file. Um, this is how they evade detection. The loader bl blends the traffic in with normal traffic such as apple.com, Twitter, Microsoft. And the third stage, the ultimate stage, it downloads the iced ID main module as a PNG file spawns a MSIEXE process and inject, injects the ICD main module uh, and bang, it's all over. So there's three stages this thing. It's out there, it's running. The big thing is it's a phishing campaign to get this thing on. And then this thing, if, if they can fish you or your friends, your family, your coworkers, your organization, um, they're gonna get the ability to run this, this Trojan. Um, of course, why they want to do it is to get your system, to own your system, right? We talk about this every day. The main reason, own your system, use it for crypto mining, use it for lateral movement around your network, uh, use it for some other nefarious deed, um, DDoS, like Dennis was saying the other day. Um, there, there's a lot of things they can do once they get on your system. So it's some of this stuff is old, like password protecting a zip file. Um, some of it's newer in the way they're doing it. Uh, using stenography is not new, uh, but the way they package this into this kind of three-stage process is new. As an organization, what we can do, uh, we've in this article, go and look at the article from Threat Post. It's got um, some of the sites, like the Serbian website, it's got it as its URL, which is 3WUK8VW.com. But it's also got its IP address. Um, so you can go out there and block it on your egress filtering. 
It's also got the second stage uh, URL as well. So we can block those on our egress filter and we put those in our, our restricted file. We put them in, uh, if we've got a web proxy, we make sure people can't get to those sites. That, le that levels one defensive measure. Um, we want to make sure that they're not if somebody does go so far, it does get through our malware defenses. It does get through our ability to train our users uh, to protect themselves. And somebody clicks this link and starts this whole chain in action. We want it to hit our, our proxy filters. We want to hit it our egress firewalls and be killed at our perimeter and never get to the place where the malicious code is going to be downloaded from. Uh, if they can't get the, P the DLL, they can't get the PDF, they can't get the PNG file that's going to protect you. So end user education is a big one here, right? And train your user, don't click the link to start with. Um, but we know it's more, uh, more better, better crafted emails all the time for these phishing attacks. Egress filtering, um, malware protections updated, DAT files updated, um, current, all those things um, are systems are patched and updated. Those are basic basic tenets of security we have to always move forward to keep this trojan off of our our systems right um so we know when we know where uh, check out the full report uh take that to your folks at work i think uh, jenkins if you use the jenkins in your pipeline uh, it's a popular open source automation server uh published an advisory on monday concerning a critical vulnerability in the jetty web server that could result in a memory corruption and cause confidential information to be disclosed. This is tracked as CVE 2019-17638. So it's a big number. Um, 2019 tells you it's a little bit old. It's got a CVSS rating of 9.4. Terribly high on a 10-point scale. So I'm going to put this uh, you know, up there. If you're using Jetty versions, and they've got them listed. The first one's 9.4.27, version 202002227. I'm not going to give you the other one because that's enough for you. Um, look it up. And if you're using Jenkins, check this out. Um, it's a full feature tool that provides Java, HTTP server, and a web container for use in software frameworks. Um, the flaw impacts Jetty and Jenkins core, appears to have been introduced in Jetty version. Uh, 9.4.27, which added a mechanism to handle large HTTP response headers and prevent buffer overflow. So it was a protection put in place to prevent buffer overflows. And we talk about this all the time. When we patch a system, we need to make sure that we recheck the system, we rescan the systems after we patch them so that a new vulnerability is not exposed by installing the patch or the update. Um, the issuing the issue was, in the case of the buffer overflow, we released the header buffer, but did not null the field. And that's uh, from Jetty's project head, uh, Greg Jenkins. To handle this, Jetty throws an exception to produce a HTTP 431 error, which causes the HTTP response header to be released and the buffer to pool twice, in turn causing memory corruption and information disclosure. And essentially, it will allow, if used properly, it would allow a user to get access to a different user's information. So they go on. Put differently, 
while thread one is about to use the byte buffer to write response one data, thread two fills the byte buffer within re with response two data. Thread one then proceeds to write the buffer that now contains response two data. The result is client one, which issued request one, expects the response, now sees that response two, which, which could contain sensitive data belonging to client two. So it's a memory corruption that allows us. It's recommended that Jenkins users update their software to the latest version to mitigate the buffer corruption losses. It's been fixed. It's been patched. Uh, Jenkins LTS 2.235.5 was released yesterday. Fixes the problem. So we fixed the buffer overflow. We fixed the um, issue with the um, memory buffer corruption flaw as well. So if you're using Jenkins, and a lot of people are using Jenkins their pipeline, know that this is out there. Um, probably not your friends, your family, maybe your coworkers your organization could be at risk. So definitely be on the lookout. Go to When you go to work today, are we using Jenkins in our pipeline? If you don't know, ask somebody. Ask one of your developers. Do we use Jenkins? A lot of people do. A lot of people are using Jenkins. Uh, it helps development. It helps. We always got that operational and um, security dichotomy. And I, I agree with the, the article the other day. Just because we increase security doesn't mean we decrease usability. We have to find a way to increase both of them at the same time. We can increase security while increasing usability. This is a good example. We can apply this patch. It's not going to cause, it shouldn't cause any problems on the development of applications or, or CI CD pipeline. It will fix this problem. So this is a case where we can both win both security and operations can win by fixing this. So just find out if you got Jenkins. Ask your developers, are we using Jenkins? What version are we using? Um, and if, if it's not the right one, hey, maybe we got to talk to our, our development team, whoever's responsible for updating Jenkins. So let's get that thing updated and working as it should. <laughs> yeah, big oopsie. Yeah, it's, you know, updating upgrading patching that's so critical to keeping these things clean keeping our a lot of times the vendors will fix the problem it's just getting the updates the upgrades the patches put on the system it, it it's 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 crazy and this one's funny it's they were fixing one flaw and, and created another one so we always got to look out for that as security risk cyber people we've got to look for we're patching one thing does it increase, does it cause another vulnerability? And in, in, in the you know classic sense of this is we apply a patch that fixes something and it opens up a weird port and that port is open, it becomes a vulnerability. This one is different. We patched an overflow um, and we created, we being Jenkins, they patched an overflow problem and they created a, a buffer corruption flaw. So I'm sure that's not what, obviously that's not what they're intending, but that's what happened. So we always have to look, uh, test the patch in a test environment. Make sure it doesn't break anything. Release the patch to a pilot group that maybe is not all your critical stuff. Make sure it doesn't really break anything in your environment and then push it out on your schedule to everyone else. But have that in the time frame that is based on your risk posture. And we have to build, we have to build this thing. We talked about this thing. 
the folks that scan your systems and the folks that patch your system should be different. And the folks that patch your system should have a process that tests the patch, make sure it works, has a pilot group. And then at the end, when all of this stuff is done, that scan group comes back in and scans the system again. Was the patch applied everywhere that needed to be patched? Um, and did it cause any new vulnerabilities? I think that's bang, Bob's your uncle, right? Um, that's what I'm saying. So uh, on to the next one. I don't like the name of this one, but you guys, I guess we don't have to like the names of them. They call this Operation Powerfall, yet another campaign using zero-day exploits. This one's from Kapersky. Um, it's on Cyware Social as the folks that put this one out. Kapersky revealed details about an attack campaign launched in May of 2020 against South Korean company. Um, they dubbed this Operation Power Fail, involved exploitation of zero-day vulnerabilities in Windows and Internet Explorer. The full chain exploits targets the latest build of Windows 10. That's uh, build 18363 for the 64-bit uh, environment and Internet Explorer 11. The attack consists of two zero-day exploits, a remote code exploitation exploit for Internet Explorer, which is CVE 2020-1380, and an elevation of privileged exploit, which is CVE 2020-0986 for Windows. Based on similarities with previously disclosed vulnerabilities, researchers concluded these attacks were probably carried out by the group Dark Hotel. Um, yeah, most recent zero days exploits, there's a string of them. Um, also rel rely on vulnerabilities in legacy JavaScript engine, similar to this new one. While the previous set of vulnerabilities exploit a slightly older version of the IE JavaScript engine, the new exploit was found to target the latest version, JScript 9 DLL. Uh, bottom line on this one, both vulnerabilities have already been patched by Microsoft. Go figure. Due to threats like this, it has become more important for organizations to practice countermeasures such as reducing the exposed attack service, leveraging behavior-based threat analysis, and implementing a rigorous patch management process. That's the story we're, we're banging on that drum all day, right? I don't, I don't want to work. I want to bang on the antivirus or the patch management drum all day. Um, rigorous patch management process. We've got to have that put up. We've got to have that put in place. If you, you don't have that, if it's, it's and again, it's got to be the vulnerability scanning people and the patch management people have to be two different groups. I say in Jim's perfect organization, the, the vulnerability scanning group, the people that are scanning for vulnerabilities are part of the security organization. The people that are patching the systems are part of the IT or the OT organization, depending on where you work, information technology or operational technology. Um, that's that's the, the two groups. One will scan and see if we're, we're vulnerable. The other one will patch and fix the system. And, and it, it gets rid of that conflict of interest, right? By doing it that way. Um, whoops, how'd that one get on there? Why, uh, why not dark motel? I, I don't know. A dark, dark desert highway. Cool, cool wind in my hair, I guess. Um, it's scary. Um, the Bates, Bates Motel of bad patching processes. 
So that's what we got to. Yeah, that's what we got to do. We go go to work. We go to work, and we make sure these systems are in place. Let's look at our patch management process. Who's scanning and who's patching? Um, do we have a, a scanning sandwich? Right. Scan, patch, scan, and repeat as needed. Right. Make sure that we're scanning on both sides. We're scanning to see how many systems we have vulnerable. We're patching those systems, and we're scanning to make sure not only have those vulnerabilities been fixed, but also did we did we create a new vulnerability by apply, by applying a patch? Good question. And English eludes me today. So that was a that was a rundown. That was a rundown of the top cyber stories I saw as of about seven oh seven this morning. Uh, tried to get them all. Scoured the internet. Scoured my inbox. I've got Google search bots that run. I check check a couple sites every day to see what's new out there. These are the new and tasty cyber stories for the day. Take them to work. Be ready to take care of your friends, your family, your coworkers, your organization. Some of these things we talk about patching. That's not just for work, right? We have to make sure our friends, our family, our coworkers are patching their home systems as well. Um, that's that's just what has to happen, right? Um, when you're hanging around the water cooler today, people are going to be used to you saying, what weird holiday is it today, Jim? And you're going to say, well, today, it's obviously National Potato Day. <laughs> of course, it's the 19th. The 19th is always National Potato Day in August. So what do you need to do? You need to go out and check out this article for from WITL 100.7. FM, um, Lansing's number one home for new country. Um, I guess that's where you want to go. Um, but they've got five things you can do with a potato to celebrate National Potato Day. That's in your link below. Obviously, I'm going to give you the links for the good things you can do with potatoes. Like, get rid of puffy eyes. Did you know that? You can get stains off your hand. You make a hot or cold compress. You can shine your silverware with a potato. And of course, all you guys getting ready to go to work, guys and gals getting ready to go to work, you can shine your shoes with a potato. Um, that's crazy. Check out the article, tell you more about those five things you can do with a potato. Craziness going on. Um, obviously, it's always great you guys can be here in the morning. Always great we can talk about these things. I love to hear your feedback. I agree with Matt. Matt's, Matt's um, comment can be the comment for the day. Um, that's, that's scary. Um, a lot of the stuff's scary. Um, we gotta go out there, go out there. We gotta take care of friends, family, coworkers, all that stuff. Uh, Sierra Bravo. Uh, when you're Irish every day is potato day. Ah, uh, there was a, yeah, I think another link I didn't use was from, from an Irish site. Um, talk about yeah, Irish are it, linked to potatoes. Um, that's just the, the way it is. And that, Great potato famine. That's part of our, uh, not our history, part of the Irish and English history that is probably pretty ugly, I guess. So anyways, that's what we got going on today. That's a crazy, that's a crazy looking potato over there. Um, Dennis has another idea. Uh, organized ransom, ransomware practitioners. I like, yeah, ORPs. That actually sounds a little bit like APTs. We got APTs and ORPs. I kind of like that's my winner so far. Let me know what you guys think. Maybe we'll put it. Let's put a we'll put a uh, a poll up. 
Um, send me in the in the note below if we're going to start classifying these these ransomware actors, the organizations. Um, we need we need a name for them. We need a a cool acronym like APT. Um, so I think I like ORP is the one leading my my uh, my vote for is ORP so far. Spud gun, yeah, spud gun. Yeah, either use compressed air or you can use uh, some type of combustible aerosol to make your spud gun. I'm not saying you should do that, but I'm saying if you had a misguided youth, you probably made a spud gun. Uh, maybe if you had a misguided early adult or late adult <laughs> life, you made a spud gun too. Um, PVC pipe and some uh, compressed air or uh, explosive um, <laughs> aerosol. Yeah, the potato launcher. Definitely spud gun, man. Um, I guess you do that with the potato because it's potato day. Anyways, that's where we're at. That's where we're wrapping up. I see Sierra's out here. I don't know if Mike's out there. Um, Sierra's going to say, go get some. I'm going to say, take care of your friends, your family, coworkers, your organization. Be careful out there. And as always, we do this every morning. We take care of each other. Uh, make sure we're doing the right thing. Get each other pumped up to go out there and fight the cyber fight. Um, we know that IT folks, we know our end users are trying to do the right thing. They're trying to move the organization forward. We need to make sure they do it securely. That's our job. So until tomorrow morning, 730, um, Sierra, I say, yeah, I do say mixed guided, uh, and you're going to say creative. I I'd probably agree with that. You're learning, you're learning some scientific principles. Um, that's for sure. So you guys be safe out there and we'll see you tomorrow morning.